Pavlik. I'm Sean O'Brien, and I haven't potted since the last podcast, which Sam destroyed and never published. Okay, and on our show today, we actually have two guests. First one being Greg Mitchell. Hello. And the second one being Carson Connor, who you guys may know from uh, Star City Games, fame and fortune. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So uh, today, uh, we're going to start off with Greg talking about his finish at Star City Games Seattle, in which he placed first, which I actually called in round two. I just want to have it out there that... It's all you, buddy. You were my horse, and uh, <laughs> not saying I won a lot of money, but good job. <laughs> but did you win a lot of money? I don't think you I want cannot... to say in a recording that you won money gambling on DCI events. That exactly. sounds like a reasonable idea, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you won a lot of money. I did win a lot. Well, I won a lot of store credit, which turned into pretty sweet cards. Yeah, I noticed the haul you got. So how about you give us a little like tournament report of like who you played, what you played, how you did, and then later when you're gone, we're going to criticize your plays. Perfect. <laughs> it's thanks, coach. <laughs> uh, okay, so I played Bug Dover, Team America. Um, I based the list on Bob Huang at Katsuke on the source, uh, but made a bunch of changes because I didn't know which cards which cards were good. Um, a lot of like the. The uh, 13th and 14th finishers, just all the choices suck, so I just chose one of each. Uh, as far as the tournament goes, uh, I think I definitely got pretty lucky uh, facing the opponents I did. I started off with a affinity opponent who couldn't find a mana source in two games, <laughs> and then I played against... Uh, 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 round two was... Oh, sneak, sneak and Show. On the source, they're saying it's a bad matchup, but... I've never felt like that that was a bad matchup at all. Especially now that a lot of them don't even bring in Leyline. Yeah, that was what I was going to say. I don't think you have a bad matchup if, as long as they don't have a Leyline. I think the Leyline is kind of a, a, a ruse anyway. I mean, it's a red herring. Like, for as, for as many times as they're going to actually get a six-card keepable hand plus a white Leyline, the math just isn't in their favor. I mean, the guy who can do that in all of his discard matchups in a nine-round tournament playing Sneak and Show, he's... He's charmed anyway, you know what I mean? Like, I don't... Ari charmed. Yeah. <laughs> and I know from, like, the one time I played the deck that even if they have it, sometimes the bug decks just go Gari charm and, and then discard you anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess guess maybe now that Golgari charm is uh, two plus off in all the sideboards, it's gotten worse. But I remember when I was playtesting, basically the only thing with Storm I was afraid of was the Leyline. And basically whenever I was playing... Some kind of black-based disruption deck. I mean, I don't play them a lot, but in testing I do once in a while. If they open on natural Lylan and don't mulligan for it, you're in a really bad spot. Yeah, but they are clearly blessed there. If they have a six-card decent hand plus a white Leyline, then then it is their destiny. It is your destiny, Anakin. It happens about, like, half the time, right? Mm. All they need to do is turn a Leyline into, like, two turns. Yeah, yeah. I mean, le white Leyline, not to derail it too further, but, I mean, the, the nightmare for... For uh, anyone who fears White Leyline, is White Leyline backed up with like either Counter Magic or Chalice? That's probably the worst case, right? He's like, but you know, and I guess they can protect their Leyline a little bit, but at that point, they're not protecting their Show and Tell, which is what they really want to resolve, right? Yeah, I, I think the role of Leyline in the matchup is basically just to work as two time walks against Thoughtseize, mainly, so that they have time to try and fire off something before you can hit them with this card. Yep. Oh, I definitely agree. Like, I mean, basically, you're trying to get to turn three to cast show and tell, ideally. They want the hand of, like, you know, two lands, a Sol land and a regular land. Lee line is number three. Show and tell is number four. Sneak attack is number five. And then, you know, 
two dudes, I guess. It's it's almost yeah, magical Christmas land, but really, they'll keep any hand that has leyline in the cantrip. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so that Sacagawea you played did not have the white leyline. He did not, or it didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he did though. Uh, so you murdered him in his sleep, and then. <laughs> right. Hey, he was a friendly enough guy. Uh, he asked me how I was doing throughout the tournament. Well, did you tell him you won? Uh, I think he disappeared before that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Please continue. I think Please I played continue. against Thresh next. Uh, and that's always that's always a really fun matchup. Um, with like all the tempo decks, it's it's sort of a little dance. Like definitely a very intricate um, uh, series series of games. Uh, well, actually, I mean, I'll be honest. I was watching your Rug Delver matchup. And um, it really goes back and forth. I know there's an argument on the source about what is, which is the kind of better deck and in what situation and whatever. But definitely, like, you didn't... I was watching this game while you were playing, and you didn't make many mistakes, and your opponent was just... I wouldn't say he was making many mistakes, but there were definitely times when I was like, why, why did he do that? Oh, and you just, just capitalized on it, and it was... There was something with a Tarmogoyf, I can't remember exactly what, but you both had Tarmogoyf, and, like, he had Nibble Mongoose, but you had Delver, and then he ended up, like, losing both his guys, and you still had, like, Tarmogoyf or something. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember. I feel like, uh, the Bug Delver... The Bug Delver player is definitely favored because of Deathrite blanking their dazes going long, mm-hmm. and then the Abrupt case. Well, something about, like, you have 24 mana sources, if I recall correctly, and they have 18, so it's, like, their whole mana denial package is quite a bit worse. I mean, you have... Yeah, you're, you're, you're set up a little bit, too, with Disfigure. You hedged a little bit, right, against other Delver decks or Stoneforge decks. You've got two main deck Disfigure. Yeah, definitely. Disfigure is really good. Did you ever at any point in the tournament yell, um, My face! When you cast Disfigure? <laughs> <laughs> if it had been SWAT, definitely. Alright, sorry, Karsten, go ahead. Uh... It was something related to what was being said. I forgot to know, <laughs> so it wasn't clearly wasn't too important. Oh yeah, I remember. Uh, Deathrite Shaman, I think, is incredibly important in Tempo Mirrors. Uh, I know that especially from the when people here all played the Bork deck, the four color version. Oh, Jesus Christ, people still play that. That's that they awesome. did. They did. Oh man. Uh, well, they don't right now, but because most people here in Berlin stopped playing Tempo for the moment, but. Um, Deathrite Shamans are just, they control Nimble Mongooses, and they make it so that you have a ton of extra mana sources, which is just insane in, in Tempo Mirrors. Absolutely. Any hand that Bug Delver opens with uh, Deathrite Shaman and, like, spells, <laughs> it's just a snap piece. <laughs> yeah. Not even lands, land. just like... Not even land, not even land, you just throw the Deathrite yeah. and you're like, deal with that <laughs> Shaman, bitch. Right. I opened a lot of hands with Shaman in Seattle, and I won. And I didn't open a lot of hands with uh, Shaman. Instead, I had a lot of hands with Delver at LA, and I didn't win. Hmm. So I think that's pretty, uh, pretty telling. Yeah. yeah. Interesting observation. So, after Rug Delver, what did you face? Uh, good question. Give or take. Just like... Hey, I'll bring up your article on Star City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I played uh, Mud at some point. I-, I think it was like when we were 4-0 or 5-0. What, what mud plus was five cool and mud so like, deep. What is this? Yeah, really. I was shocked. Now you opened up on Chalice every game. Yeah, it's simple. You have to hit the good hands four times in a row. Well, eight times. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, eight times in a row. That's what mud is about. There's no deck that beats mud as long as it gets its good hand. 
I don't think that's so. true. Well, maybe like, Belgium. Turn one turn of sphere <laughs> is pretty backbreaking. I mean, all the chalice this decks guy are had the a, same. This guy had a phenomenal hand game one. I was shocked that I that I beat him. Uh, like, he had a. What kind of asshole? Force of Wills then thought Caesars. That's what he was thinking. He's like, "What are the chances? Like, who does that?" <laughs> right. Who plays a disruptor like, deck? Wow. So proactive. Like, please, you're not dirtling around like standard. What is this? <laughs> you're playing spells on turn one and not tap lands, man. <laughs> Having cast several tens of thousands of chalices over the last five years, that is the most depressing start. You, you're on the play. You have the you have the soul land. And you have the fucking chalice, and not only does it get forced, but then your next play just gets ripped. You know, it's just the well, but yeah, but he was still in a pretty good position to win, right? Uh, with right. the one spell that he had left in his hand, uh, he I took Wormcoil because I can't ever beat it ever, right? Uh, and yeah, then he got to draw like eight cards off Bottled Cloister, but um, he just I don't know, he wasn't able to remove my threats before I killed him. What's the name of the game? Well, it doesn't have that much removal, it's mud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all about yeah. the ensnaring bridge. If it... You know, I've seen people put ensnaring bridge in mud, and it just makes me cry. It's just like, are you such a coward that you're willing to play, like, the best card against you just because you're terrified of show and tell? Just play spine. I mean, I can see... Be a man. I can see them in the sideboard. Uh, <laughs> but that wouldn't main deck those. It's awful. Maybe if you're playing Forge Masters or something, and you, you're so confident that you'll be able to forge it away and just alpha strike, but it just seems terrible. If if you're if you're if you're bound and determined to to just dedicate cards to show and tell, play you know play the spine. Just be a man. Yeah, spine's awesome. If he had had spine instead of some big dumb idiot that he cast, I definitely would have lost. Spine, spine. <laughs> and it's shocking that someone who goes four zero with mud doesn't know how the interaction between Trinisphere and Lodestone Gold works. That's tough. Yeah, that's, that's tough. really sad. I ca I cast Abrupt Decay. Paying three mana, and he pointed at Lodestone Golem. I was like, yeah, that's Lodestone Golem. <laughs> no, you have to pay another. No, no, I don't. Wow. Just so, basically, what I'm assuming is new to Legacy. Somebody hands him a mud deck, because it's the only deck that they, like, don't want to play at this tournament. And he, like, randomly goes 4-0. It's just like, but guys, I don't know how to play this. I'm just, like, jamming dudes. Uh, in all honesty, if you're reasonably new to Legacy... Mud is a pretty good deck for you, exactly because of this nature of, well, it has its sick hands, it wins. Yeah. It's just a sequencing deck. You know, you the you know you have to understand how to sequence things properly, and you have to look at the value of every card in your hand, because you can't draw cards, with the exception of, the, I guess, the Mighty Cloister, but you're so light on card drawing. Really, Mud, or Next Level Mud, as I'm going to uh, name my ebook, is... You know, it's just about valuing the lock pieces in your hand and, and sequencing them properly. But you can still be a complete chimp and just, you know, Ancient Tomb, Chalice on one, and just beat, I would say, 60% of the decks in the format on the back of that alone. Yeah, especially because as long... I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sell, say there's no skill in playing Mud, but as if if you just cast the lock piece you can pay for every turn, you're probably doing things okay. Yep. <laughs> well, I think my opponent learned... Uh, that there definitely is skill to play Mud. Uh, he didn't cast his Worm Coil, instead he cast Sundering Titan. Yes, I remember you and, talking to me about that. Yeah, uh, so he Sundering Titan blew up several of my lands, leaving me in Underground Sea, and uh, then I swung back, I took seven. I took a hit for seven, and then I killed him. Yeah. So if he yeah. cast Worm Coil instead. No, definitely, as I said, I don't think it's totally skillless to play Mud, it's just... You're okay. As long as your hands are good enough, you're fine just playing whatever you can most of the time. Fair enough. Yeah. 
So let's, I mean, you faced a few other decks in, like, the elimination rounds, but, like, we all got to watch the top eight. So, I mean, well, how, was, how was the top eight? Uh, the, the top eight was super stressful. Um, I, was, I was definitely very nervous. Uh, I played against Miracles twice in a row, uh, which the, the German guys from PT Paris said that uh, that's an unfavorable matchup, which I was definitely surprised at at the time. Uh, I'm still a little bit skeptical that it's worse than 50-50. Uh, it, it used to be that I thought it was very favorable for Bug Delver, uh, but the, back then we were playing a full set of sinkholes. I, in my personal opinion, I think it's about 50-50. Like, I've played from the Miracle side and from the Bug Delver side. It feels closer to 50-50. I don't think it's like 60-40 Bug Delver's favor, for sure. Like it used to be uh, when we played sinkhole. <laughs> you were playing against... Um, you played against the guy who had the main deck, Red Blast, Pyroblast, right? That was... And, like, Venser and some other... Cra- he only had a couple of swords to plowshares or something. There was something weird about his Miracle list, I think, right? Yeah, I played against him in the, the quarters, and then I played against uh, a guy with Adam Ruprecht uh, playing, I think, three Stone the Forge Mystic yeah. and Batter Skull the and Sword of the Meat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I like that list a lot. Yeah, but the prior guy, the, the guy you played in the quarters only had two swords to plowshares, which in my, is, probably hurts him a little against you. Did you, did you have an aggressive start against him, or...? <clears throat> Not especially. Uh, he, it, it's really just managing your threats, not playing. Uh, like you can play a death right and another threat because death right on its own is such a slow clock. Uh, it's almost it's like half a card at most in the matchup. Uh, it's more important to just cast your disruption spells uh, on time. Carson, yeah. Um, my experience with the matchup is that miracles is clearly favored. It goes down the more Liliana's the bug deck has access to. But um, it's clearly not a blowout in either direction, that's for sure. And I think the current Miracles lists people play, for some reason, don't run a full set of counterbalances. So that definitely helps, helps bug a lot. Absolutely. Uh, Philip Schoeniger uh, talked about like sideboarding out the counterbalances and taking out the, the rest in pieces with the assumption that bug Delver players would be uh, bringing in Golgari Charm. I don't know if my opponent did that, but what do you think about that plan? I think it's a terrible plan. Uh, the thing is, why would I, I mean, you, sure, you have like for this abrupt case and a couple of, um, charms to get, to, yeah, Golgari charms to get rid of my enchantments. The thing is, all I'm interested in is prolonging the game. So if you spend your mana on killing my stuff, I'm totally fine with that. What I don't want you to do is get, uh, keep creatures in play. All I want to do is jam spell of, uh, kind of, well, miracle style threat every turn, like removal or counterbalance until what something sticks. And the game just ends. I completely agree. I, counterbalance is terrifying for Bug Delver. Even though we have Abrupt Gay, you still have to draw it. Yeah, and I mean, if I get four or five time walks out of it, I'm probably not losing that game. Let's pause for a minute and I'll remember that time walk, in fact, is time walk. And <laughs> some of these other things aren't well, time walks. And Karsten... If my opponent doesn't, pl- <laughs> doesn't play anything for five turns, that's time walks to me. Well... <laughs> Having played a decent amount of vintage, time walk is still time walk because time walk does the one thing that you know actual fake time walks don't do, which is give you an entire turn, and a turn is the most valuable thing in magic. Well, let's just remember that. Even if you are just Trinisphere is also a time walk though. <laughs> like no, because you got to draw a card and you got to play a land as a special action and you got to do some. <laughs> it is a, it is impeding your opponent's plan and. Uh, uh, Sean, you're being uh, pedantic. Yeah, well, we'll give you six uses of the word tempo. It, it gains you back some tempo. How's that? Yeah, okay, it's not a true time walk, sure. <laughs> it doesn't cost enough money, that's the problem as well. 
That's true. Yeah, ah, yeah. Value. Yeah, and it, 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 counterbalances cost too much money. With their double blue, they don't have a colorless in their cross dice. <laughs> I have heard that before, though. I've heard, I've heard, I've heard. Miracles players just sort of frown, and any deck you get with abrupt decay, they just automatically decide their counterbalances out. And I always think that's a little bit reassuring, you know, because a lot of times, right. a lot of times, yeah. it's it's a hard. It just problem. means you're. It just means you're not threatening anymore. You can't do that. Yeah. One one of. Although rest in peace uh, is pretty hit or miss. I, I killed my um, quarterfinals opponent with a rest in peace in play. I was just attacking with one twos. Yeah, <laughs> one, one two and a Delver is still a pretty fast clock. I have died to uh, I've died to Norwood Ranger before. It's embarrassing. Yeah. De definitely true. What about your finals matchup against Batman? Uh, okay, so we play in locals pretty pretty often. He plays Death and Taxes uh, almost all the time. So I've played him uh, in his particular build before. It was it was a fun match. He um he he was keeping it pretty loose. Uh, both in play and in atmosphere. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good, you know, like to be able to play against somebody you've played against at your local in the finals, that's got to be a help rather than somebody either you hate eternally or, you know, just some socially inept, you know, you know, neckbeard that you can't even communicate with. So that's, that's cool. That's cool that you got to play a local. <clears throat> yeah. The, the top four was all people who play at the local store. Oh, okay, cool. Good results. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, so he he was joking around a lot. I, I think you could see on stream that he would like point to random things with his wasteland or like sort of fire and ice. Uh, I think at the end he was playing for camera time. <laughs> <laughs> like that was that was his out. More camera time. I think that's. I think that's like there were already so few people in the hall at that time. He's just like sort of fire and ice your planes. Like I think that's I think that's slightly acceptable just to confuse people who are like watching the stream going like what the fuck is he doing I don't even know and the commentators like what what I was there and I was like what the fuck is he doing <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, a pretty good position to get your opponent into though <laughs> yeah, True <laughs> Like the Aether Vial thing was uh, something I don't, I don't think the commentators picked up on but it was it was bizarre So he had Thalia on board. Uh, three lands, including a port. Uh, he had an Aether Vial in play already, and he uh, played an Aether Vial, tapping one mana. Uh, in the position I was in, if he had ported me, it would have been really bad. He might have actually won the finals. Uh, but, you know, the judges correctly pointed out that it costs two, and he asked a very peculiar question. He didn't ask, can I take it back, or what happens? He said, can I let the Aether Vial get countered? And of course, the judge has to respond, no. Right. You can't let right. the Aether Vial get countered. You may pay two for it, though. So he chose to do that instead of just, you know... Could he have undoing. taken it back, though? Like, is take backs is there... Absolutely. Okay. It, it's an illegal casting of, of the okay. spell. Yeah, you eat the, you eat the GRV. I mean, I'm assuming at this point you didn't have any GRVs for the day, right? So you just eat a GRV and... It didn't matter. I, I would have been, been game-lost yeah. out of that tournament on GRVs if... They had been keeping track uh, at the in the in the finals. I was just <laughs> exhausted. Yeah, that's true. even after all that coffee with me, you were still exhausted. Oh, surprisingly, <laughs> I think that's somewhat regular occurrence in Star City top eights from what I've seen in the coverage. Because people play in uh, often play in ways that probably wouldn't have gotten them through through the Swiss. And I know how tough it is to play when you've already played like eight rounds. So 
I expect most people are playing a lot worse during the top eight than they have been during the day. Absolutely true. And also a lot of people uh, sort of lose focus when they split. Like Jacob Corey last week, uh, he split the finals and it seemed like he pretty much just lost his, um, his drive to win. I, have, I know this uh, situation myself. I have the same tendency to not take things as seriously anymore. Well, oh, and Jacob, well, sorry if, if I got that wrong. It, that's just what it seemed like on my perspective. No, we all, we all know Jacob's a quitter, so I think it's fine. It falls right in line <laughs> with what we've already known. So I am very happy to hear that you did well at Star City Games. You won some money. You bought some cool pimp. Mm-hmm. What time do you have to go, though? I probably should get going. I'm, uh, I'm judging the PTQ today. Oh, you're judging the whole thing? <laughs> you're judging the whole thing? No, no, no. I'm not oh. a judge. Uh, oh. I'm team lead for logistics. Oh, pff, whatever. But, oh, whatever. Yeah, Seattle <laughs> PTQs are pretty big, though. They're like, it's, what, 220? They're, they're like, there's what, not as many. 220? Average number? Uh, they, Eight. They're preparing for 400. Jesus Christ. I don't God. know if they'll get that many, but that's what they've... they've uh, they, they have space for it. They have staff for it. Hey, there's a... Uh, that's a, pretty uh, sick. Yeah. There's a, there's a bronze marker in your uh, marker cup on your table there I left to get my shit signed with. Okay. Sweet. Thank you. Hey, <laughs> and also mail your shit for GP. Oh, no, Casey's coming to GP Atlanta, so he can bring your stuff. I can get your stuff signed there. Oh, cool, yeah. Okay. Hey, well, Carson, nice to nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you, too. Thanks. And uh, see you guys and later. Greg, we'll have you on maybe at a later date just so you can talk more because I know this was kind of rushed and everything. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate good. you coming on, though. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thank you very much, Greg. All right, later, man. See ya. Bye. So that is unfortunate that Mr. Greg had to leave us. But now we can talk about anything we want to. Uh, so I actually wanted to move on and talk about... A lot of people have been hyping up this... Uh, what people are calling the new Noble Fish deck, or it's also being called Bara Bant, uh, named after the source member, Bara, B-A-H-R-A, who's been playing this on this Noble Fish deck on Moto for... I don't know, I guess, the last two weeks or so, and went has gone like 14-2. So I'll just quickly read off the list, and then we're going to just basically talk about it a little bit. So 20 land mana base, Flooded Strand, Misty Rainforest, Wasteland, Tundra, Tropical Island, Savannah, and then one of each of the Forest Island. The rest of the dual count doesn't matter. The creatures, though, four Judges Familiar, four Noble Hierarch, four Stoneforge, three Edric, My Master of Trust, two Looter Ilkor, two True to Nemesis, two Mother Runes. Uh, then our non-creature spells are four Brainstorm, four Swords, four Force, four Days, one Jeet, one Sword of Fire and Ice, one Batter Skull. So, let's talk about this a little bit. Yeah, so this this looks like, very similar, I think the name share is is a giveaway to uh, to a vintage list called Noble Fish, which is mana denial, efficient creatures, counter spells, and a draw engine. And uh, looks like it shares a lot of the same uh principles of that in, in vintage there's some cross-cutting cards like stony silence that um are kind of bricks well, not, not bricks but in legacy i think you're better off just playing stoneforge so it looks looks similar shares the wastelands um judges familiar is is sort of a soft it's, it's not really mana denial i guess but it's a tax effect um well the deck's curse catcher kind of yeah exactly a curse catcher um it's also too it has evasion so you're drawing cards with edric right yeah, absolutely, and you've got a good thing to attach equipment to. So, um, you know, looks looks similar. I mean, it's I guess it's it's just another tempo deck. In this case, it's going to rely more on hierarchy. I guess the other feature of note 
uh, is total lack of reliance on the graveyard, which we've talked about before on other podcasts, you know, building either junk shells or bant shells or any other green-based green base creature decks that don't use the graveyard, which gives you access to rest in peace and also cuts off a lot of your opponent's, you know, sideboard cards. Carson, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the deck in action. It, it makes me think of, I'm not sure if anybody remembered this, um... Back when GP Barcelona happened, and nobody was playing Stoneforge in Legacy, there was this vile-based fish deck that used Stoneforges for Sword of Fire and Ice. That was before Better Skulls. It looks yes. a lot similar. I remember that deck. This, yeah, it looks a lot like this, actually, I think. With, like, just the basics. It doesn't have the vials, and it has things like Mother of Runes that that deck didn't have. But just... The disruption package is similar. The whole Stoneforge thing as the main big creature threat. That's what reminds me of it. Yeah, the um, the other thing, I guess, of note is... And I'm looking at the list here that was on the source. Um, things like two Mother of Ruins, that drives me nuts. I mean, Mother of Ruins, you know, her value is, is so much greater early. Um, I don't know what list you're looking at. I'm looking at the same list you are. Okay. Uh, on the source... Yeah, that kind of drives me bonkers. I mean, there's... That's probably a work-in-progress list, though. I assume it's changed maybe since this post has been made. Yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. But um, it, it, a couple of things, right? It looks like you always have a turn one play, which is nice, which is a hallmark of a, a tempo deck, right? Um, and maybe he's just looking at ten turn one plays, and he's so he's slotted, you know, four familiar... Four hierarchs probably a given, right? And then um, um, I guess the familiar in this particular build he's got or, or he's trying is is uh better than mother but i think in a stone and he has days but in and force but i think the the back-to-back play of mother stoneforge is so strong you know being able to protect her in a world of abrupt decays is really really strong it's tough yeah uh, i really hate that play while i while i agree and was really kind of weirded out by seeing two mother of runes in a certain way it makes sense do you know if this guy is from europe or from the u.s I believe he's from Europe. Which would make sense because as far as I'm informed about the rest of the media game, definitely for my local one, there's a lot more miracles and combo around in Europe than it is uh, than there is Stoneblade okay. compared to the US. So Mother of Runes is not particularly good against either of those decks. Right. I mean, Mother of Runes is good against miracles if she is protecting the Kithkin Advisor, but that's about it. Sure. <laughs> um, I, I noticed one thing. I... A few things kind of jump out at me that people kind of have maybe forgotten about. Noble Hierarch. So we haven't seen Noble Hierarch in a while, but I'm pretty sure, like, everybody kind of sits down and thinks about it. Deathrite Shaman is really good, but if other people are playing Deathrite Shamans, are your Deathrite Shamans actually producing mana? Maybe not. So Noble Hierarch in this deck is obviously producing all the colors you needed to, and giving Exalted, and not getting cock-blocked by other Deathrite Shamans. And it's worth 60 bucks now. Yeah, and you can play with your modern stables in Legacy, right? You can play with your uh, ones, yeah. So then, yeah, the two Mother of Runes and the two Trune Nemesis are kind of like a little bit meh for me. I think I'd want more Trune Nemesis, but that's whatever. Looter Ilkor is also really cool, because I haven't seen this card in a couple years. People just haven't been playing it. People have forgotten about Shadow, and just how good Shadow is with equipment. And so, I was wondering... That card is a piece of shit. I can't possibly see playing that over Cold-Eyed Selkie or some other equally... I mean, a Pride Mage, or two Pride Mages, that card to me is just balls. What? You don't like to looter? I could play a Cold-Eyed Selkie and Ancestral. I mean, I just would rather do that. Or or have access to, like, 
I don't. I'm looking at the curve. It looks like he he maybe was short on twos, right? We've got yeah, yeah. This is definitely filling the two slot. So I, I, definitely. I don't know. I, I Pride Mage is really strong. So, but I get I get it that evades. I get you're you're kind of all in on Edric, or a little more all in on Edric. But looking at the blue count, I think you might need to blue cut there. Yeah. Yeah. Meddling Mage. God, there's just better cards. I don't know. I'd have to look and see. But a one one that loots just. Oh, I, I agree that this that the card itself is not all that impressive, so that's probably where I would look for if I needed room two, but I think it makes sense to have a blue two drop in that slot. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think meddling mage, like for me, if you look at a lot of the cards yeah. that hose him, um meddling mage would give him some game one game against a lot of game one game against combo, right? He's already got counter spells. Now you back it up with meddling mage. He could name abrupt decay, which is killer against any of the uh abrupt decay decks. Terminus. Yeah. Terminus, yeah. Meddling Mage sounds good for that slot. Anyway, but like, Meddling Mage requires a little bit of finesse. Looter, he could probably just jam it, attack, and, you know, do his cards. So, whatever. <clears throat> so, then I also... The, um, obviously, the weird inclusion that everybody's talking about is Edric. So, what is Edric doing? Like, so Sean was saying before, like, you need a draw engine. You can't just... I mean, Death and Taxes... The problem with Death and Taxes right now is, like, cool, you get all your guys out, suddenly you're facing down some bigger guys, they remove all your stuff, and you don't have a draw engine. Edric, pretty good. You got a lot of guys with evasion. You put equipment on them. They're all drawing cards. You're likely you're drawing between one and three cards every attack step if you've got enough guys out. And I'm a big fan of drawing cards. I like my Sylvan Libraries. I also like Edric. It's a reason why this card was like four dollars for a long time, and then now it's like twenty five bucks. Somebody found a home for it. <laughs> so congratulations on finding a home for this card. Well, he's been. I mean, he's been popular in Vintage. Um, if you go search. Any of the vintage, you know, vintage deck sites, TC decks or whatever, you'll see, you know, you'll see Edric every month was in a top eight somewhere. He's he's been real strong in in vintage. Granted, there are less blockers, so but yeah, finding a legacy home uh, is a good deal. You know, another guy that I would probably want somewhere in this seventy five. I know he's not playing Green Sun, but to me, Trigon Predator right now is a pretty good hedge against in the equipment mirror. I mean, he is just a beast. Actually, I think he literally is a beast. Like, I think that's his creature type now. <laughs> Carson, did you want to say something? Um, what would it, I was going to say some, something, but once again, I have to remember what it was because I started listening. Oh, yeah, it's it's interesting how shaving a mana of Coastal Piracy suddenly makes it really good. <laughs> Don't we have new Coastal Piracy? Isn't there a some kind of shitbox yeah, the, from Theros? Titan? What is it called? Oh, the, the Trident of Fiza? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Thing? Yeah. Theros is just like a bad dream. It's just like, you know, I'm just trying to forget it and, like, just take Stormbreath Dragon and just move on from that entire block of just horrible cards. <sighs> I think I'm in the unique position of actually thinking it's pretty good for us that Legacy hasn't gotten a ton of cards since Return to Ravnica because the cards they print usually have a power level that's so that it's shifting a lot, so it takes a lot of time to, for things to settle. We could do with something new by now, I think, but I think it was good to, that we had time to play everything out so far. I mean, I don't mind it from a financial perspective. I mean, my, my investment in Legacy now is just buying more beta stuff and pimping out certain cards <laughs> I don't have. So it's like having, you know, spent $100 on this block or $150 on getting everything I want in Russian is almost unheard of. So that's fine. Um, but I, I think we have a new window now with Commander and... Um, some of these other one-off sets, which is a great way. I think that's a great way to introduce Eternal cards. Um, 
Yeah, I agree. As long as they print enough of the damn boxes, like... I don't know why you're crying. I got all my... I had all my stuff a week after the set came out. Actually, I had I had two German names... I had two German true names the day of Eternal Weekend, ready to go. I didn't play them, but I had them. I wore them as a necklace. But the... You know, <laughs> I didn't have any problems getting getting stuff. You just you just have to have access to eBay.de. Oh, well. But you're, you you always keep up for, uh, and, and stick up for the common man, Matt, and that's why people love you. I try my best. Even though I have 39 beta dual lands. <laughs> Not common. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so I actually wanted to... Because we have you on the show, Carson, I wanted to talk, I wanted you to talk about maybe the differences that you see, because you write for Star City Games, the differences you see between the European legacy and the American legacy kind of formats. And I mean, we were talking a little bit about this before, just in, you know, the amount of Stoneblade versus, you know, Miracles. So do you maybe want to yeah. give us the breakdown of, like, what's going on in Europe and how it's a little bit different? Well, I mean, my impression is obviously not representative because I'm sitting here in Berlin and Europe's pretty big. <laughs> And we don't have anything like the Star City circuits, so we don't have. I I don't have brilliant information of what's going on in Europe, but generally speaking, my impression is that Europeans tend to play more combo than is getting played in the U.S. And as a result, decks like Miracles are a lot more well liked here because they have very good storm matchups. And yeah, I think I think Americans for some reason all love the, love love the Blade deck, and. I mean, it's a good deck, but I don't think it should have the metagame representation it has over in the Star City circuit in the US. And I think it might have something to do also with the simple fact that a lot of the people that go to Legacy Opens want something that plays similarly to the formats they used to. And a Blade deck, while complex, gives you a normal game of Magic. You're just playing your threats, disrupting the opponent a little, dropping down good beatdown threats, and control the game and the battlefield, while something, while the combo decks and something like Miracles don't play like what modern Magic players are used to. No, in Europe, and I've been to Bizarre Moxon, but in Europe I find more dedicated Eternal players. In the U.S., I would say it's the complete opposite. You've got dedicated standard draft players, and they just happen to duct tape this other tournament on the Sunday of the Star City, so why not play it? And, you know, you're either borrowing a deck or you've, like, you've just got this... This deck that you keep around for when Star City rolls through, so it's very true. And I, you, you playing match by match, you can see the inexperience in a lot of the, the players, just in terms of not even understanding sort of the dynamics of Stoneforge. You know, EG always going for Batter Skull when it's not the right you know call, but sometimes they just win those matches because the opponent doesn't happen to have removal or they have the force and they just win anyway. You know, and but I think, yeah, the deck is, is very popular. It was also a pretty popular standard deck, so maybe you've got that same group of people who played uh, whatever that deck was called in standard, and they're just used to it, you know, the old Jay Stoneforge deck. I think it all eventually got banned, but... Yeah, <laughs> which, seeing how the deck is doing Legacy probably made a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I agree. There's definitely... You definitely see a lot less Storm Combo and Miracles. I mean, I was at Star State Games Seattle, and there were Miracles players. I was playing Miracles at the time, and but I just didn't see a ton of Storm Combo, which is actually quite good right now, or was good. And then um, not a lot of Miracles. Like, I didn't really face a mirror match. I had a lot of good matchups all the way through. I mean, and you can definitely tell the experience a little. I mean, I met a few people who were definitely like, you have been playing Legacy since, you know, the early 2000s when it's still 1.5, like format knowledge and everything, but yeah, 
Uh, actually, haven't really. Uh, I started Legacy when I moved out of France, which was, uh, funnily enough, exactly the year Brainstorm got banned in uh, restricted in vintage. And when I moved to Berlin, there was no vintage scene. I'm originally a vintage player, so I decided, well, let's check out Legacy, and it was a lot of fun. So I kept playing. Well, you got to play four Brainstorm this time, again, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Well, I I never exp- truly experienced the vintage with one brainstorm because I moved basically the moment they banned it. So it's not like I stopped vintage because they restricted brainstorm. It's more like I couldn't play vintage anymore when they restricted brainstorm because where I was there You're was like vintage, screw vintage France. Scene. I'm leaving. You restricted brainstorm. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> so. Like you were just talking about how the fact that there was not a a tournament circuit similar to Star City Games in Europe, what do you think about like why is there no demand for a Star City Games like circuit? Uh, I think there would probably be demand. It's just that uh, it be, it being so many different countries, it's probably rather difficult to organize. I'm honestly not sure because my I mean I don't have the experience or resources trying to organize organize it. But the truth of the matter is, I don't think there is any as big vendor as Star City, and nobody is organizing those tournaments. I'm not sure, I, I know a lot of people who would want to go to them. I mean, if you were willing to get and drive around, I mean, there's always a big monthly in Spain. Then there's another big monthly in Italy. Then there's another big monthly in Germany. And there's a big one in... You know, I mean, you could get in your car and drive around. Um, the, the folks... Yeah, who, I, I, you know, it would just be a lot... It would be a busy, busy month, you know? Yeah, I, I think part of that is also that in Europe, we're a lot less used to traveling long distances than in the US. Like, Europeans will usually plan for a while before they take a trip to Italy instead of just jamming it in the car. What about Eurorail? Uh, uh, trains oh. are horribly expensive. They are very expensive. <laughs> and, like, there, there is a certain... I mean, my experience at Bizarre Moxon, I would say, besides ending up in the hospital, every, everything went, went really smoothly despite all of the... The language differences and everything, I was impressed with how uh, the staff handled things. Um, you know, I think it's still a little bit of a logistical nightmare to deal deal with it. Just the judge staff you have to have in place, right? I mean, I think the default is that they want everybody to sort of be in English, but, you know, you can't expect everybody to speak English. It's ridiculous. Um, but even like the, the, the Liga de Catalonia de Legacy, the, the Spanish League, they get, I think they do monthlies, they get 120, 130, and that's just North Spain, right? Um, so that's, yeah. that's not that far off of a star city. Yeah. Right? So maybe the individual tournaments, like you don't even need it. That could be, yeah, you're right. Like if everybody's just getting their own local tournament, that's pulling, you know, a hundred, 150 people. Do you need a star city? That's going to maybe, you know, hit four. Right. I mean, our local uh, the feeling is different. That's, I think what most of us are, uh, well, most Europeans or players I know that want to have something like star city, what they're missing is. Big events feel a lot different from a hundred-player event that is reasonably it's local. It's true. You get a lot more players in from like out of town, and you get to see people, and you get to travel. It's an experience. The European ones are especially fun because you get the added dimension of countries. You know what I mean? Like bizarre. It just felt like, oh, here are these three German German guys, and these German guys are doing well. And then you had the Russian guys who were all trying to like bend us over a barrel and pump us for their Russian cards. And then you had like. The French guys whose cards nobody wanted and like they all kind of hung out with each other. <laughs> and then you had all the Italian guys who, you know, everybody was kind of wary of. I don't know why that was. But and then you had the Spanish guys who were like super friendly guys. And uh, that's who I ended up hanging out with. And then you had a few of us Americans. But um, it's kind of cool that that added dimension is actually a little bit fun in, in these bigger European tournaments. 
Yeah, you meet a lot of people from a lot of different countries because Europe has so many of them in such a comparatively small room. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fun. I mean, the 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 I guess the logistics of getting people across the ocean, it is kind of cost prohibitive. But even something like Eternal Weekend, uh, you know, last year with Legacy Champs and Vintage Champs, there was a there was a good, you know, probably half a dozen German guys, another half a dozen Italian guys. Even that was fun. And that was somewhat re well represented. It was probably still 75% American, but um, you know that was even a good time. Any big event always feels, you know, it does. It feels feels more interesting. There's more gravitas to it. You're more, you're usually a little bit more focused. You know. Yeah, it's it feels more like you're doing a real big battle for the win instead of well, I know half the players here. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, my, 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 my tactic at these large tournaments is just when I sit across from somebody, I just make sure that I get myself into a mindset where I just hate them eternally. And that way I focus and I play well and I don't make errors. <laughs> at my locals, I just like everybody. Well, I don't necessarily like everybody, but yeah, I don't. Uh, I definitely don't play as tight in my local at all. And I make terrible mistakes quite often. Or I just bring horrible decks, in which case I... Well, that's what locals are for, kind of, among other things. Yeah. Just trying out random decks you want to, because, well... They're not big events. Yeah, so. there's usually not a lot of money on the line, so you might as well just fool around and, you know, try to see if this idea is yeah. going to work. If this idea is gonna work. Yeah, Cavern of Humans has been uh, has been giving, giving me a good run here, but it might be time to retire it. As fun as Glow Rider is, he's, uh, <laughs> he's just not fit for battle. So, moving on, I think if we want to talk about any insane plays you had, uh, maybe in the past couple of weeks, any plays you made or saw, or any cool pickups or cool stories, anything like that. So maybe Carson, if you want to start, or if you want some time to think. Uh, I don't have any great plays right now. So well, Anything that you saw, even if it wasn't your play? Well, there's something... I hope nobody uh, is taking that personally, but in the... Not, not any one of you, but the person who made it, as I said, I'm, I'm terrible with names, I would have to check. Uh, in the Star City Invitational semi-finals i was really shocked when the storm player lost because i was watching the fifth match of the semis i think it was the fifth and i was like okay opponent is dead i can do something else now and i switched back to the stream two minutes later and they hadn't killed him and um and i think that illustrates something about storm about the complexity level which is why i find it interesting because when i saw his hand I immediately knew the opponent was dead. His hand was two lands. He had one land in play. His opponent had just clicked him on end step. And he was uh, it was his second turn, so he could play a second land. He had Deck Ritual, LED, Grim Tutor, Parcel Flames in hand, and the second land he could drop oh. out. Yeah, he's dead. So, the, yeah, the interesting thing is the Stone player didn't... And the Stone player probed twice that turn, too, but into random stuff. And he, it seems he didn't see the kill, because he didn't kill his opponent. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the the thing that is interesting in that is that there are so many specialized lines you need to remember with the deck that there are, if you haven't had that hand before, it's not evident that you're actually killing your opponent with it. It looks very inotious. You have to, you have six mana and a tutor. Right. Yeah, I think uh, well, I think seven mana. People, people A that that deck suffers. So this is in the semis, right? This is the top eight. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, there's your mental fatigue, right? Like you know, for all you know, that player actually was has seen that line before. If he was just playing show and tell, he might have just derped an Emrakul into play. Whereas, you know, he's 12 hours deep into his experience, and you know, his brain just isn't firing, you know, on all cylinders. You know. Uh, I I completely know the situation. I've thrown a lot of matches with Storm just 
where afterwards I would have asked myself, God, man, you're so bad. How did you do that? It's just because first you have to concentrate all the time. And second, there's so many things you have to think about that you miss that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's an actual tangible disadvantage of playing a deck like that. People don't talk a lot about, people like to talk about the metagame, like it's absolute and it just has to do with the 75s, but it's not, you know, it has to do with card availability. It has to do with player preference. It has to do with the complexity of the deck versus the amount of time people are willing to put into Legacy. So when you say that a deck like, you know, Storm, any of the Storm variants, you know, people say, well, they're not they're not a deck to beat. It's not necessarily because the 75 is awful. It's it's a lot of other, fa- you know, it's a confluence of other factors. You know, uh, a certain subsegment of players will just never pick that deck up, period. You know, and... That, that's for sure. You know, and so you just cut yeah. yourself off. It's it's not even. It's not like we're all picking race cars out of a lineup. So you know, a deck in isolation, it, it, analyzing a deck in isolation as powerful or not powerful, you know, can sometimes be a tool even if it's uh, even if it's quote unquote not in the meta. You know, it's still a great deck, but um, you know, it could be card availability. It could be it could be the complexity, and it could be the fact that I mean. I know probably half of my store, people play, players that play my store, given all the cards, and I have all the cards, there are probably three people at the store who, who could essentially loan any deck out easily, you know, would never play show and tell, never play sneak show, ever. They just don't want to. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not because it isn't powerful. It's not because it uh, isn't relatively simple to play. It's because they just, like, they just wouldn't play don't that enjoy deck. It. They just wouldn't play it. It's just like, it's a chip deck. I don't want to play it. It's just... You know, ancient tomb island showing. It's just I don't want to spend my forty bucks in my entire Sunday doing that. It's just not actually interesting. You know. Yeah, it's basically what I never. I've never done it so far. So <laughs> I don't, can totally understand. Yeah. So how do you how do you how do you factor that into the metagame? Honestly, if all of us picked up show and tell, or or sorry, if if that's whatever you want to call that 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 psychological factor or that or that playstyle preference, if you kick that out the window, you know, the deck might might four of every top eight. You know, because it is just so absurdly powerful you know and it jumps on any slow draw and you know uh it's probably more powerful than we give it credit for you know i think that's something that is uh, true for most of legacy actually yeah like uh not only on the, not the power level thing but that what people want to play shapes what the meta game is like because there are a lot of decks out there that could see play but that nearly see no play and then someone makes them famous and people start playing it but they never fully catch on because just because there are not enough players that enjoy this type of deck. Right, right. Belcher is another one, right? I mean, I would I would never devote an entire Sunday of my life, forty bucks, and you know, a chance to play nine rounds of Magic and play Belcher. It would just be a waste of time, oh, uh, you know. Oh no, I already did that back when Belcher when people invented Belcher in Vintage. I was one of the first people who saw the list and thought, "Hey, that looks fun. Let's let me build this, that as a fun deck." And I started goldfishing it. It had like 50% on one kills. And they decided, hey, I want to see what this does in a tournament. This is insane. Remember, this was after, uh, it was before people had really broken Storm and Vintage. So people simply were not used to getting killed on turn one and two. Yeah. So. Could you play four LEDs? Was that? No. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you played. Sure, sure. Okay. That was before that. <laughs> oh. And it, it, it's actually quite fun. I guess so. For the I first just, time. I, I, I just can't picture nine rounds of it, you know, and just flipping a coin as to whether my opponent has, has permission. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a lot less fun once you and your opponent both know how the deck works. Yeah, yeah. Because the opponent knows he just has to mulligan into force, and you know, well, I just have to go for it and hope it works. Right. But An interesting question to ask wh- wh- sometimes when you look at a deck is if, if half, you know, if 40% or a third or half the field played this deck, 
would it would it be snap you know would some card in it just be snap banned you know what i mean and i think that's an example that's an example of a deck where if if a gp ever happened and a third of the field was playing belcher it would just be such a humiliating embarrassment that they would have to ban something in it either diamond or burning wish or the belcher or whatever like uh, that's for sure i think that would happen with basically any combo deck yeah to be honest just looking at wizards policy towards combo decks if there's any combo deck that gets 30% of uh, of the playing field they would ban something from it. Look at the eggs deck. I mean, that was miserable. And I mean, at least Belcher, you can go get lunch. But like the yeah. the the eggs, that miserable eggs deck. I mean, that thing was doomed the moment it was on camera, taking thirty minutes to resolve a turn. You know. I really liked that deck. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it looked sure fun. fun but I mean, the fun deck just opponent. It just benefits no one. It's just well, mo- modern modern's a different animal anyway. In that. It can be frustrating. You could devote eight cards of hate in your sideboard in modern against eggs. And modern, there's just no good tutoring, card movement, filtering. So you're just playing against the egg deck, desperately trying to draw your stony silence or your whatever, and you just you just can't find it. And then you just you want to shoot yourself in the head. You know, at least in Legacy, you've got a chance maybe to tutor, you know, tutor up, tutor up your hate or brainstorm into it or whatever. Yeah, or just by time. Uh, I mean, this is a legacy bro- uh, broadcast, but not a Bonham broadcast. But I think that was one of the biggest problems in modern, simply that there's not something like simple counterspell, something that is not good in a combo deck, but that allows control decks to just stop combo cold for low mana, no matter how much mana they have. Because because of that, they have to ban so much, yeah. I think. Yeah, mana yeah. leak was like it, which is still a criminally underplayed card in modern. But yeah, I, I got the feeling too. The decks, decks in modern just felt a little, and still feel a little stiff. And, you know, you feel like you don't have a... You, you fan your opening seven in Modern, and oftentimes you just feel like that's pretty much what's going to win you or lose you the game. Whereas in Legacy, with all of the cantrips, uh, things like Sylvan Library, and just powerful cards, you've got a little bit more play to your, you know, to your hand and your deck, and you don't necessarily feel like you're going to lose on the back of your seven, right? Modern, there are some decks where, you know, you're just literally going to be peeling cards off the top of your library. I think that's one of the reasons the pod deck is so powerful is it's one of the few decks that has a lot of play redundancy and tutoring you know yeah it's just insanely flexible too yeah which is great all right there was our 38 seconds of modern for every day yeah <laughs> I mean, it's, got a, it's not an insane play i just think it was a funny play uh if it's worth talking about so i was playing agrolom for some reason um last thursday because why not and a newer player had just built death and taxes and was like really excited and i'm like oh I don't want to crush this guy, but all right, I'll do it. And I'm still on the old Devastating Dreams list because I still think Devastating Dreams is a really good card. It's just it doesn't deal with true nemesis. So I think if you're going to be playing Devastating Dreams, you've basically got to do it on turn two to like wipe out Stoneforge Mystic, something else, and two lands. Like I think that's perfectly fine. I'm also running. Who cares if they have a true name if you have a Terravore that's 12, exactly. 12. I'm also running like Keswick Wolf Run and ter- more Terravores. So, I really think this deck has some potential, right? Like, basically, you just seismic assault them out if you can't get around their Trune Nemesis, or Punishing Fires, or whatever. Or you just dreams out the board and swing for a lot. Anyway, the point being is, he's got, like, this board built up of, you know, a bunch of, like, X1s and X2s. And I've got, like, a big Crusher, and, you know, a Goyf and a Terravore. And we're kind of going back and forth, and I'm trying to get Punishing Fires online, but he's like, you know, he's... I don't have a Loam yet, and he's... Uh, wastelanded away my groves and I just kind of uh, Sylvan Library into Devastating Dreams with a full grip and just like drop six cards, destroy six lands all my creatures survive you know, alpha him for infinite. Felt good. I'm just saying he'd never seen Devastating Dreams before so felt good. 
you actually devastated his dream. I did. And I really wish Modern had Devastating Dreams, so Lone could be a real deck. Uh, they have uh, Poon Jab, or what is it? No, Flame Jab. Not, not, uh, not good enough. <laughs> you can slowly jab people. <laughs> I think that's missing the Armageddon. Yeah, Armageddon seems pretty good. Uh, yeah, I've played Boom Bust in Modern, and uh, people in Modern, when they draw a land in Modern, if they have not played a land, they just play the land. It's like an autopilot move in Modern. A deck that requires only three lands will simply just play 12 lands out if they have them. So if you had an Armageddon effect in Modern, it's it's even more devastating because people don't sandbag lands for Brainstorm or anything. And um, I, I, I think, frowns upon land destruction in general, but Armageddon, stuff like Armageddon, I think they see as kind of an unfun thing. I doubt they'd ever add it to Modern. Oh, it feels good, though. Oh, it feels wonderful to destroy people's lands. It's, it's fantastic when your opponent just can't even begin to do the most fundamental thing in Magic, which is to place a spell on the stack. How many of you guys have started playing before 2000? Uh, me. Oh, I've been playing. You're the only one. I've been playing since '94. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised you guys don't have problems with land destruction in Armageddon. <laughs> Same reason I don't. But I think that's because we're used to it. We learned to play with those effects. I mean, all I played in Vintage, you know, in the '94, '95, '96 was was basically mono black or black blue land destruction. You know, there's. There is a school of magic named after me, and it is a school of pain and land destruction and black vices. And um, <laughs> you know, it was just a—it's a proactive strategy. It's—it's it's, prison. Prison doesn't get any love because they've just crippled so many of the cards. Between banning vice and crippling winter orb and um, cards like—it seems subtle, but even a card like Days has a lot of impact on a card like like Sinkhole that used to be, uh, you know, such a sweet, sweet card. And, you know, but if you play Vintage, you you still you still get to. To play prison legacy, it's a little tougher. You know, death and taxes probably probably the closest thing to a prison deck we have. You know, yeah, death and taxes is kind of uh, legacy's prison deck, uh, at least among the t uh, top tier archetypes that see a lot of play. Yeah, the, I mean, what's missing from the prison strategy is either filtering or card draw at the moment. I mean, there's nothing in legacy where you're like, cool, I have lonesome golems. You know, I have suppression fields. I have this and that, but I don't do anything else. And if I don't get hit these in the right order. I'm just not getting there. Yeah, that's why I always thought white stacks wasn't really playable in Legacy, just because it's a control deck that doesn't have library manipulation, at least not good library manipulation. Now, I will say this. The deck was not too bad about six or seven years ago, because I used to play it. It was one of my kind of starter Legacy decks that I was, uh, like, more tournament stuff that I was, wasn't was brewing myself, and uh deck was okay. Because I, okay, I ran Crystal Ball back in the day, or I added Crystal Ball when it came out, whatever. And it was okay. Uh, however, using Gotterdammerung to kill everyone's lands, again, I can't... Uh... Yes, Gotterdammerung. I mean, it's another... It goes along with most of the other Chalice decks. It's an open hand deck. If your opening hand is good, powerful, and you happen to also be on the play, you look like a champion. And this has happened to me numerous times. I've been either 4-0, I was 5-0 at the GP, and you just get... Literally, you just get two, two bad hands, and you know, in two matches in a row, or you lose the, you lose the roll and you get a bad hand... And all of a sudden, you've got two losses, and you, there was no way to salvage your... You just couldn't salvage those games, you know? So over a short tournament, four- or five-round tournament, you think you're a champion, and the deck is fantastic. But you start going into, like, a nine-round tournament where you've got to go maybe 8-1 or, or you know, 7-1-1 uh, or something in a nine-round tournament. It's tough to get seven good hands and, you know, all, maybe also be on the play when your hands aren't so great. So... Yeah, and I think the white stacks deck has the particular problem compared to the other chalice decks that it actually plans to play more than like 
five turns because it's trying to really lock the opponent. Yep. So your mana base and not having library manipulation is more likely to catch up with you. Yeah. Maybe we need to build a uh, a white stacks deck mat that is basically mostly white, and then it just splashes green for like Horizon Canopies for draw engine with Crucible, and then Sylvan Library for actual. You know that's I that's what I was actually thinking about. Yeah. I was like white green stacks because yeah, having Sylvan Library is yep. fucking nutters. That seems like a reasonable start. One of the things I regularly think about is to try to build land tax stacks or something like that. Oh, let me tell you about land tax. Oh, yeah. I love that card. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I love playing Parfait in Old Vintage. Just because the deck was so fun, not because it was actually the greatest deck ever. It's just the land tax engine is so nice. So fun to play with. I have a post in the pimp thread here. I'll, I'll post it in the, uh, in the chatter while Matt talks about... Um... Alex Trebek and Brian Adams. Hold on, let me find it here. Okay. So I also I also wanted to talk about uh, maybe cards to consider. So like how the metagame is going slash not changing. Um, cards that would be good that maybe people aren't playing or are undervaluing in the current metagame. So I want to start because I want to talk more. Um, so this Noble Fish deck that we were talking about is basically a deck full of X1s. So, in case people were relatively unaware of what cards beat a deck like this, they should consider playing Golgari Charm and Zealous Persecution. And Toxic Deluge is criminally underplayed right now. Jesus Christ, no one's playing that card, and it's amazing. I don't know what people are doing. Maybe in Europe it's different, but have you seen a lot of Toxic Deluge around, Carson? Uh, no, but I wouldn't know either, because what I'm playing is not something that loses to Toxic Deluge. Oh, okay. Fair. <laughs> But you have, you I'm, have... either, I'm either playing Storm or Miracles, so even if they have it, I won't see it. Okay. <laughs> I usually like to talk to people afterward and be like, oh, what's your sideboard? And, you know, that's why I, I kind of get to see what people are playing. But yeah, definitely Deluge is underplayed. The card is, is excellent. I have two in my Storm sideboard, actually. Not sure if it's good yet, because I've never drawn them when I was actually playing against Death and Texas or something else with Hate Bears, but... Well, let's put it this way. I th I agree with you that I, I would play Deluge in a, like, Burning Wish sideboard or something like that. I think you still have to run Massacre, because sometimes Free is just better. But I think if you have... There are particular situations where Deluge is just better. Yeah, I, I might just be wrong to not run Massacre, because... But I have this insane fear of Teague and I don't run Burning Wishes so I just have the cards to board in. Mm. I don't think you're insane for but, fearing Teague. I mean, most of the Miracles players I know, like, have tattoos of Teague with, like, the red, you know, X around him. I mean, they, that's, he is enemy number one, as far as I know. Maybe Choke. Both for Miracles and Storm funnily enough, it's just, nobody seems to be playing it anymore, but they can't shake that I want to have an out to Teague. <laughs> it's true. Feeling. I, I definitely agree. Like, another card that's underplayed? Definitely Teague. Nobody's Nobody's playing that card. Why? I think a lot of people actually aren't in green-white anymore. Like, realistically, if we look at it, like, Death and Taxes, if they're splashing another color, probably splashes black, and that's been an okay deck that I've seen do well. Um, the Bant deck should actually be running Noble Hierarch. Sorry, not Noble Hierarch. Ganic Teague. Uh, I'm running it, because I think, I feel like Junk has better colors than Jund for combo. Like, I'm playing three Teague in the board, and it's been great. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, speaking of green suns, I think one of the big reasons we see less Teak and less Merrick and less Maverick is because Deathrite Shaman in a certain way, way uh, invalidates the power of green suns. Yeah. Because gr one of the big strengths of green suns was that it's was, that it's a Lanawa elf that also does something in the late game to get you utility. Deathrite does that without putting Death Dryad Arbor in your deck. That's exactly right. It's the reason why survival getting unbanned would would just be a, a stone in the pond. 
I mean, if, if Green Sun is falling out of favor, Green Sun three out of four times is just – I mean, your long game with survival is fantastic, but basically tapping out on the second turn to do nothing is miserable. I mean, if you tap out and Green Sun for one, at least you've accomplished something. You know, and it's it's redundancy with survival is is why it's astonishing that survival is still, still banned. I mean, like, ridiculous. But anyway. I don't think I really agree on that. Survival is – Pretty dumb when it's legal. Yeah, but it's just not, not any dumber. Not, not, then. What is it dumber than that's ha- that it's happening now? No, anyway. uh, no, no. The problem is not that it's actually broken in the sense that no deck can beat it. It's just that any creature deck that isn't playing survival is doing it wrong. No, it's not. Elves wouldn't even play it. Elves would just play Green Sun. Like it's no. You would just play both. Then you then you have eight slots dedicated to where's your to tutors in my combo deck. That seems good. Uh, it's just slow. I mean, you when elf decks are winning on the third and fourth turn uh, on the play now, survival doesn't really help that. You know what I mean? Like, no, but they don't. Yeah, the thing is, you don't need help with that. You need help with getting your board wrath twice, and that's what survival does. Yeah, it can help you recover. I just think it's a slow enough card that you know eventually, yeah, you do get a lot of card advantage out of it. But we also live in a world now where we didn't have when survival was in play. We have abrupt decay. We have Phyrexian Revoker. We have Surgical. Surgical extraction. We have countless you-can't-search-your-library effects. There's just a lot of cards now. And we have Green Sun. I think that's the biggest one. I think we've got so many cards now that it would be a great... It it would be a good card, but it wouldn't be any crazier than Show and Tell. It wouldn't be crazier than Lion's Eye Diamond. It wouldn't be crazier than Terminus. It wouldn't be crazier than Stoneforge. I agree that it would be more powerful. The problem is, with survival, really is the Skull Clamp problem. There is no reason to run a creature deck that doesn't use survival as long as that card is legal. As long as the Vengevine engine is allowed to stay in place, too. That's a lot of spots. I mean, it's just a lot of slots to dedicate in your deck. You know, you, you've got, now you've got a lot of dead hands that have, you know, two Vengevines, three lands, and a whatever. You know, you've got bad cards in your deck. Nice basking root wall. And nice, you know, I mean, it's just, it's going to lead to some bad hands. I think it's a fantastic card. I think with, my preference being some stuff gets unbanned first, but... Given what's out there right now, I don't think survival is. Given what's currently being played and the cards that are allowed to run loose, I just don't think survival is is ban worthy. I would prefer to take other stuff off first. I, there's probably two or three cards that could come off long before survival, but um, there are a couple of cards that don't do anything. So yeah, <laughs> sure. Um, the, the, as I said, the problem with survival isn't that it would dominate the meta like meta like it, it did back back in the day. The problem is just I think it would push out anything that's creature-based that isn't survival-based just because just jamming a survival and two vengevines and a root one on your deck makes your deck insanely better. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, well, and four survivals. It, it's just, it's just not as, it's not as fast. I don't know. I just see, I see games ending so quickly now and um, we have Abrupt Decay, we have all these tools, we have Revoker, we have... Delver is also in the format. I mean, the tempo, the game, the yeah. name of tempo has changed as well. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, you you can get your your engine online, assuming you play around days and do all this stuff. You might just be dead to a Delver. To me, Delver is so much. Delver is so oppressive right now. It's the clock. It's it's what everything's sort of measured against. You know, being on the draw against Delver. Put put your deck against that, and can you do you have a hope to win? You know, and just dicking around with survival might not even be. You know, what I mean, dicking around with survival might not even. You know, it might not even be enough, you know? Well, one of the things I always have to think about when you discuss survival is, uh, some of you might remember that I wrote an article at some point talking about band battles where you could unban one of your cards. Yeah. One card from the band list and just try that out. That was... Well, one of... You re- I just want to... I remember that article, and if you also remember, I started that thread. 
Oh yeah, that was me. <laughs> cool. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't make the connection before. Nice. Okay, but yes, um, I remember that because it's a really cool idea. I think as well. Yeah, we try actually tried this uh, this a little here in Berlin, and one of the players here was loved uh, Vengevine survival, so he obviously undone that, and I built a necro the necro deck, oh, fuck. and we actually tested that. We actually tested those against another, and it was pretty much 50-50. Huh. Which tells me that survival is still pretty busted. Well, that was before. Abrupt. Even if you get to play Necros. <laughs> I mean, your, your Necro deck now would probably have Abrupt Decays, and, you know, it would probably be Green-Black Necro just, right? I mean... Uh, no, it would probably be, still be a ritual-based combo, oh, your combo Necro combo. in some form. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, which should be a good matchup, which should you... In my opinion, have a good matchup against survival. Yeah. And it just didn't. It. I mean, I didn't lose more than half the games, but I lost quite a few more than I expected to lose. Yeah, swamp ritual necro. Given that I was playing necrostorm, should be a win most of the time. <laughs> okay, so let's get back to cards to consider that we're talking about. So deluge charm, zealous persecution. You know, all again anti-turn nemesis, but also against these weenie decks that are kind of popping up. Uh, Gaddic Teague. I was also considering, uh, we ta I talked about Trigon Predator. Again, like Sean was saying, great hedge. Sean, do you want to expand a little bit? Yeah, I just think, you know, if you're if you're planning on fighting the equipment battle, um, I think Predator does everything you want. It eats their equipment. It's great holding equipment. You can Green Sun for it if you're playing a Green Sun build. It pitches to force. Uh, it has a reasonable amount of ass, so it doesn't worry about, you know, charm effects. It doesn't worry about punishing fire. It doesn't worry about... Um, you know, number of things, and then most of all, it evades. You know, so um, it's probably I, if I was going to play something like that Bant deck, I, I, I definitely would have a couple of Trigons. Uh, you know, in my board, so it's a fantastic. Card. That sounds very reasonable, Carson. Uh, that sounds really reasonable. I think Trigon is probably a pretty good card right now. I mean, yeah, he dies to Bolt. I know people are going to be like, but he dies to Bolt, and it's like, well, what doesn't he, die to Bolt in this format? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a he also can trade with a Delver. Sounds sad, but I mean, there are sometimes when all you need to do in this world is to simply get something with two power in the air to not die to that wretched thing, and um, he does do that for what it's worth. I mean, in the band deck, realistically, I mean, if you're casting Trigon on turn two against their turn two Stoneforge, you're swinging for three and killing their equipment that they just fetched for. Like that seems okay. Um, yeah, well, you either you keep them from playing the equipment, but yeah, same thing. You know what I mean. It's good enough. Yeah. Uh, another card that we wanted to talk about, Fire Ice, because, uh, what is it, whatever his name is, Eric Rill, or whatever, the guy who won the most recent Thursday games with that four-color garbage. Um, I really like that list. I don't know. I think it looks sweet. <laughs> it's interesting, but every time somebody goes into four colors, I'm like, oh, why did this guy not get Blood Moon or Price of Progress out of the format? Like, Well, it's a tempo deck, really... I mean, how many tempo decks do actually have basics? I know. I just I want it to happen. Uh, I mean, Blood Moon is another. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. <laughs> Blood Moon is another. You know, you you goldfish it. You can go four and zero at a tournament when you run against you know three or four decks that all cave to it, and then you just get two bad matchups or two bad hands with Dragon Stompy, and same thing. You're just out. You get a crappy hand with Double Spirit Guide, Seething Song, Mountain, Mountain Tomb, and you get pooped on. You know. Yeah, it's basically this. That's basically the secret of Blood Moon, I think. You have to f find a, a deck that can both power out the early Blood Moon and that can win totally without ever casting Blood Moon. Yeah. That deck is called Imperial I Painter. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think, the closest we've gotten, which is why Painter is doing so well. But if you see some Painter games, you're really like, 
okay, this is not exactly what I'm afraid of when I'm hearing about broken legacy decks. People just <laughs> As, don't pack don't it up. Don't get me wrong, like... Painter's... Yeah, and don't get me wrong, Painter's a good deck. It's just, it still has a lot to a lot of work to do that it's not really equipped, equipped to do when it's playing against something that is totally immune to Blood Moon. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's another deck that's hampered by card availability, too. I mean, it's the stupid Judge Foil is $175 now, so... Yeah. The average... The average dude who's going to plop his 40 bucks down into Star City, if he asks his six closest Magic friends if they have four recruiters, the answer is going to be a resounding fuck no. It's just not... And no one wants to spend, you know, 175 times four on this card that actually has no... Or has very little utility anyway outside of maybe EDH, I guess. Or Yeah, it's just... It's, yeah, yeah. it's Alluren, it's Painter, and... Yeah, EDH, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other cards, Casali uh, kind of falls into the... Trigon Predator kind of thing. Fire Ice. So Eric Rill was playing this one of Fire Ice. And case, I mean, some of, most of you should know this card, but I'll say what it is anyway. So Fire Ice is a split card from Apocalypse, and, or whatever, Judgment, or Garbage, whatever, like 2000, 2002, somewhere in there. And uh, one half of it is a one in red instant that is basically an instant speed forked bolt, and the other side is a blue... So one in a blue, tap target permanent down, draw a card. So he's playing this in a tempo deck. Uh, he explained his choices on the uh, on the Star City Games article, but I really like the card. I've liked it for a long time. So where I think this card has some play maybe in like a rug mid-range deck, just being able to like nuke two creatures or a creature and, you know, ding a planeswalker or tap down a blocker and attack in. Like I think it has a lot of play because it's so flexible. What do you guys think? Yeah, Fire Ice has always been good. It's just got so much more competition now. And, you know, you brought up Fork Bolt. Fork Bolt sort of does the same thing, but it's also a sorcery. It grows your goif. So a deck like, let's say, Rug Delver has a tough choice to make, right? You know, you have Bolt, so obviously the best, but you've also got Chain Lightning, Fork Bolt. Um, so you just have a lot more choices now. I mean, even something like, um, is it Charm? No. You, you compare, yeah, is it Charm? Charm. Yeah, compare is it Charm to Fire Ice. You could probably make arguments on both sides, you know, um, it's, it's good in, it's good when you need a counterspell, it's good when you need to kill Bob, it's good in the late game when you've been smart and held lands back and you can, uh, double loot. So it's just, I think it's just got a lot more competition, you know, if you've got three or four spots in your deck that can go to cute cards that are flexible, you know, you, you, uh, Fire Ice just has more, in the old, old, old Werebear Thresh, for example, you know, those decks used to play Fire and Ice and Buku because there just wasn't as much competition. But now I just think you've got a little more, a little more competition. But I think it's a fine card. Yeah, I think Fire. Same here. I think Fire Ice is a good card. It's not something that that is particularly well positioned or anything. It's just a good card, nice and flexible. Probably a subtle so card too. It, the, the the Enervate effect is probably you know underused, but uh, you know being able to Enervate a, a land, let's say, and and sort of here, ready, time walk them. And uh, <laughs> and that seems pretty good. <clears throat> and then you get to can trip, as they call it. Yeah. Back in my yeah. day, we used to slow trip. Oh, I'll draw that gosh. on the next upkeep. Arcane denial. Oh, so good. Uh, Arcane denial in your own moxes was fun. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, so, and- turbo stasis. <laughs> <laughs> Only you. Uh- well, yeah, I missed in our, the, in our battle speaking of really... <laughs> in our of battle really... of the unbanned, Black Vice is absolutely going to be my card. <laughs> Not even... <laughs> a 
I would actually be interested in people posting, like, we talked about it a little bit. I mean, it was on, I posted that thread a couple of years ago. You wrote the article probably like a year or two ago. I mean, and we haven't really touched it since. I'd be interested in listeners kind of, I mean, there is a current, you know, band restricted list for Legacy. If people are interested in producing decks to kind of see, like, this is why this card, you know, should not be unbanned, and this is why, and then have a deck with four of that card. I'd be very interested in having you, feedback. You have to, you have to have some parameters. Like you can't, you you just can't have the Moxit. Well, first of all, the Moxit are redundant. But second of all, no, you, no, you, no. You, you can't have Black Lotus, and you can't have Ancestral, and you can't have Time Walk. And Obviously, you, it's it's the reasonable cards. Yeah, like, I mean, if, if you just take it from Legends forward, maybe or something. I don't know what the right spot is, but well, I think the spot is like this. Like, let's be realistic about what cards are not going to get unbanned. You know, power. Uh, things that involve manual dexterity and anti. Yeah. Uh, Yogg Will? How is Yogg Will going to lose ever? Well, that's th- make a deck with it and show me why it shouldn't be unbanned. Okay. All right. Fair enough. But yeah, I get your point. I get your point. Yeah, I mean, I think that is pretty probably pretty uh, Yogg Will, which is one of the reasons I didn't take this. Probably pretty easy. You just take the past and flames out of Corn Storm and put in the will <laughs> and get to turn faster. Exactly, and you get Korean Yogg Will. It's even better. Like it's <laughs> it costs one mana less, right? It's only two. The Korean one. Yeah, I in fact have the signed Korean one. It is, uh, it is a fierce. Uh, another one, you know, would be like I would like to. Well, I'd like Black Vice because it's just miserable to lose to a Vice under Stasis or under a Winter Orb. <laughs> the other one, the other one is Balance. People don't. I see people on the message boards talking about Balance being something that could come off, and I just don't. I can't even begin to wrap my head around how you could conceivably think Balance basically reads creatures suck. Don't play them ever. The end. Lands suck. Lands artifact. suck. Well, <laughs> everything but artifacts <laughs> suck. The end. This, no matter well, how people much you also thought argue you were winning, for oath. You thought so. you were fucking winning. You're not winning anymore. You lose. You lose, Iron Man. You lose. Oath is also pretty ridiculous too. Yeah, I mean it's the same thing. People regularly argue oath should come off. It would just make creatures unplayable. <laughs> oath so. reads creatures suck. Burn them. The end. <laughs> yeah. So I think what we're going to do is actually we might have a bit of a maybe a Star City Games article Everyday Eternal crossover with this contest. Uh, maybe whoever, I don't know, we'll have to figure something out, but maybe whoever, I mean we'll set up the details when we post the podcast, but perhaps... Man, we could record live cockatrice sessions of us playing our broken decks against... Whoever creates the best argument for either unbanning or banning of a card will get a place of dual lands. <laughs> Uh, I'll supply the dual lands. Wow, strong! And by dual All lands, right. I mean by that you mean Adakar Waste. That cycle of dual lands. <laughs> nope. Nope. Scab land. No. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, don't. Uh, I just put it into the chat to tell uh, Sean. But oh yes, I think. I think yeah. I think okay, those work. <laughs> we will definitely have. We will get somebody a play set of dual lands for their contribution. So. All right. Um, so I think we should wrap it up because we're at like an hour and a half. Yep, yep. I got to roll and uh, put some ice on my detached Patel attendant. So, or now it's actually reattached, but yeah. So thanks for listening to Everyday Eternal once again. Uh, glad to be back, maybe on a little bit more of a reg- regular schedule. So I'm Matt Pavlik. Uh, thanks for listening. I'm Sean O'Brien. Yeah, thanks for listening. This is Carsten Cutter. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your feedback. Email us at everydayeternalcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash everydayeternalpodcast. And follow us on Twitter at eternalmtg.